Hello and welcome back to Thunderstruck, the official podcast counting all of the times any member of ACDC has been struck by lightning. So far, we still remain at zero, um, and it is episode 51. I'm getting a lot of DMs of people saying, hey man, uh, in every single episode you drop really cool, interesting uh, new facts I'd never heard about ACDC. You seem like you're just a huge fan of them. I think you could have a whole podcast just about them and specialize episodes with different eras and different members of the group and origin stories and where they are now. And, you know, you could just could go on forever. You know, that band has a really long history. I don't think you need to pigeonhole yourself into this lightning idea. And, um, you know, I tell them the same thing every time. I tell them that my grandpa told me when a good idea hits you, it strikes like lightning. And when I had the Thunderstruck idea, I knew that that was, that that was the right decision. And so one day one of them will get struck by lightning, and that will be the day that my podcast will become the most famous podcast in the world for at least 36 hours. And after that, I will find a new goal. But I'm doing this podcast kind of like a Super Bowl, where it's it's not really about uh, a long a, a lot of success. It's just about enough to get a big win. But anyway, it's uh, it's Friday, December eighth. Uh, you should be listening to this tomorrow on Saturday, December 9th. I hope it's I hope the skies are sunny. If you are not, I'm sorry. I, I fucked up. You're listening to this on another day, but uh, chances are this should be out at the right time. I don't really need to mention that. I, I guess that shows a lot of insecurity in the cast. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't feel you know great about this whole operation. Um, decided to leave the AC on today. Gonna make sure, gonna try and make sure that the noise reducer will do the job and you won't hear that. But if you're hearing it, you know, Remember, you know, take a look at if you're ever listening to this podcast and you think this isn't good, just look at the video of it. If you're able to access the video, look at the video of it and then it will kind of ground you and you'll be like, "Okay, that's where he's coming from. This is I get it. That's why it is the way it is. I won't complain anymore. You know what I mean? I show the video without any backdrop or anything. I just show where I record it, not really to even have a video element of the podcast, but to give people a understandable reason as to why it's not the best. Because if you just listen to it, you'd be like, what's up with this guy? And then if you see where I live, you'd be like, it makes total sense that this is the product being released from this setting. Why is there no pictures on the walls? Yes, I do have a moving box of pictures that is open that I haven't touched for like six months and it's just sort of you know what i mean when you have something that's a temporary storage that just becomes part of the apartment that's not good um but fuck it haters are gonna hate you know still the greatest podcast in the u.s still the most honest podcast in the u.s um except that one episode i had to delete because uh you know you know, you know, I am a white guy in a podcast, and I think that's fine. You know, I think it's a silly stereotype. There are a lot of funny guys with podcasts, but sometimes you do record an episode and you watch it and you go, "Okay, this is this is what they're talking about." Though, this what I just did is what the the liberals of TikTok are complaining about with white guy podcasts, and I I see that, and I and I will record a new episode. I I won't continue. Uh, releasing things like that so anyway i don't know uh i hope everybody's watched the squid game reality tv show i don't watch uh reality tv shows uh i'm you know i'm one of the guys that's prone to thinking that stuff is stupid and and probably that i'm better than it i guess um but then every almost every time i watch a reality show i'm i'm really locked in uh this is if you don't know what it is it's based off the very popular Netflix show Squid Game, which was about people who are accepted into a game where they have to play children's games, uh, but if they lose, they die, and if they win, they get like a lifetime amount of money. So they made a real version of that show, except uh, boohoo, the people don't die. They just get kicked off. But they do have to pretend to die, which is funny, 
because like they keep these things on connected to their chests that when they because in the show when they lose the game the guards shoot them in the face and it's pretty fucked up in real life they can't do that i don't know why but they can't uh so they just have a thing on their chest that explodes and then they all have to pretend to die. And it's funny because you can tell some guys they cut away really quick where you can tell right after he like closes his eyes while standing and then probably open them. is like, I'm not doing it. You know, um, it is. I wasn't going to watch it until a very funny friend of mine asked if I'd watched it. And I was so surprised that he, of all people, would ask me. And I was like, no, why would I ever watch that? And he was like, it's hilarious. And I was like, OK, you know, that was all I needed. I watched it. Here's, I think, the true magic of the show is that, similar to the original scripted show, uh, the competition starts off with 456 people. So, in real life, they had to cast 456 people. Uh, many of them from all across the world. Uh, mostly America and British, but there's like a couple Indian guys hanging out. Um which I guess statistically would add up. There'd have to be a couple. Um, but they have to cast 456 people, which means that a lot of honestly pretty fucking insane people kind of get through. It's tough to cast a show. Even if you cast a show of 30 people on a reality show, there's a good chance a few of them are insane because they want to be in a reality show. So now it's 456. I know they're not able to screen these people as much as they'd like to. You know, and they try and, I guess at the beginning, pick out who might be good on camera. But the thing is, like, by the time it gets down to 30, that's still a lot of people. And they've already cut off, like, you know, 420 people or 426 people. So there's been so many people that you can get really late into the show. You can get deep into the show. Like, as a contestant, you can be close to winning. And they really haven't interviewed you at all. Um I remember it got down to 63 people and they had to do a game that was like they all had to pair up and then it was a one on one game. And before they played the game, I guess because it was in the real show, they asked they had to ask each other, why do you want to be here? And there's this one guy named Tim that only gets like a, a total of, I want to say, seven minutes of screen time in this whole show. And he's made it to, like, the last 63 people. So hundreds and hundreds of people have been kicked off. We haven't seen this guy at all. And it's him. He's one-on-one -on -one with this girl. And before they play this game of, of marbles, they have to ask each other, why do you want to win this game? And he starts off, and he's like, uh, by the way, I'm not really spoiling anything. But he starts off, and he's like, well, first off, I can't retire. And uh, also, I've got a lot of family with health issues, and I'd like to be able to help them. And if I have any more money, I'd like to donate to charities that would help, you know, people like those in my family who need help. And then, and this guy's like 70, maybe. And then he asks this young woman he's with, she's probably 27. And he goes, why do you want to be here? And she says, well, I'm here for representation. Because as you know, I'm deaf and growing up, I never got to see a lot of people like me in media. And so I want to be an inspiration to young deaf children. And it's been great being here because I get to teach people sign language and everybody's been very receptive. And now some of my closest friends on the show will say, you know, hello to me when I, in sign language. When I see them, that makes me feel really good. Um and I thought that this guy's response, because he's, you know, kind of a boomer and she's like just the epitome. He's just a person that I don't, I don't really believe these people exist. And it's not her saying that she wants representation or that it's, it's the method of like, I don't believe that this real like kind of Gen Z millennial person truly exists in the world, but they do. Where she wants more representation for deaf people, and her way of doing it is that she is the representation. She's the star, and she also gets $4.56 million. Um, and she doesn't bring that up in her reasons for wanting to win. Uh, she doesn't bring that up literally at all. She's also listed as an artist in her job description when they interview her. So I'm pretty sure her parents are bankrolling this life and... It's fucking crazy. So I thought he was going to have a regular old man response of being like, 
all right, well, I gotta, I can't fucking retire. I don't know if you know how that feels, but it's a lot worse than not getting to see a deaf fucking person in a show. He doesn't do that. Tim is a, a gift to the earth because he just, he, he turns into like Piers Morgan pretty quickly. Um, where she's fucking annoying, and he could kind of brush that off, but he goes right at her, where she's talking about how she's deaf, and then he goes, well, you know I'm deaf. And she goes, yeah, I saw your hearing aids. And before she can even finish, she's like, why didn't you ever tell me? And she's like, what? And he's like, you've never done sign language with me. And she's like, well, we don't hang out that much. He's like, no, 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 you've, we have talked enough, and you were going around to everybody else teaching them sign language. If you'd come up to me and signed hello, I would have responded and we could have bonded over that. But you chose to not tell me. And then she starts pulling, like, because he's getting weirdly accusatory and kind of like, I guess insinuating that for some reason she would lie to him specifically about being deaf, which you don't need to know anything about the show. I'll just tell you, that doesn't help your chances of, there's no way that that as a strategy would help you. So I don't know what his basis for the accusation of lying is, but I it's really great that that is his hill. He's immediately trying to... Like, he takes it to 100 immediately, which I think is what a lot of people do when they talk to young people like that, where you want to be like, but you're also going to be the star and you're going to get $4.56 million. So I feel like this representation thing is just kind of a bullshit thing you're bringing up. Um, you know, if you really want more representation in media, you have an interest in that, you should maybe write a TV show that is around deaf people or, you know. Also, there are deaf... She acted like there had never been... You know, Moonlight, like, won a fucking Oscar. You know what I mean? Like, there's... I don't know why she acted like deaf media has never existed, um, but whatever. So, he responds, yeah, quickly. And he's like, he's like, you've kept it from me. And she's like, oh my God, What? And then she's like, it's not my job, which is a big, you know, a big young person. It's not my job to do that. Um, and he just keeps going. And it's so good because she's like, I feel really sorry for you, Tim. And he goes, you tricked me. Like, he reminds me a lot of a Thomas Lennon character. Um, if, if you don't know my name, it's it's uh, uh, the sheriff from Reno 911, among so many other things. Um hilarious but it was like a character that he would do perfectly like this thomas lennon could play this guy any fucking day of the week and it's it's i mean reality shows are fake but this was the kind of argument where you're like i don't even think you could tell an old man to do this you know what i mean like i don't even think if that wasn't his inclination i don't think you could get him to do that he wouldn't understand the context in which he's speaking but this guy was just old people you don't have to give them any direction on reality shows. They do wild shit. Um, and he's like, yeah, you tricked me. And it's this weird fight that like comes out of nowhere for no reason. And she's like, I feel sorry for you. And he's like, I feel sorry for you because you're about to go home soon. And then they play the game, which is just trying to toss marbles into a bucket. And he loses pretty easily, which is embarrassing. Um, also, I want to say, if any of you are listening to this thinking you said both of these people are deaf are they signing all no they're not i want to make that very clear i know that the word deaf does not mean you hear zero things but i do want to say this girl is walking around having pretty regular speaking conversations with a lot of people she's sitting down and speaking with her mouth which she doesn't sound like what you assume a deaf person sounds like she just sounds like a normal person and she'll sign while talking but like she doesn't need to you understand every word she's saying and then people talk to her and they're like and she's responding fully and then in the interview she's like it's really hard to meet new people and stuff because I have to try really hard it's hard to hear them so I have to sometimes read lips and it's like I don't know I just want to say she's not deaf in the normal, in the probably wrong, but but honestly, come on, description of what deaf actually is, she's not what you think deaf is. She's extremely hard of hearing, and she uses hearing aids. I don't know how many times they cut out her going, what, in the show, but there's not a single one of those. So the whole, like, I'm deaf thing is a little, you know... Uh, is what it is. You know how autism used to mean something? Kind of like that. Um, 
and then this old guy is just sort of jumping on that train too, being like, "Well, I'm also deaf." But they're having this whole con- they're they're just talking to each other. There's not a bit of sign language going on at all. So it's kind of fucking annoying to me that she's like, "I'm gonna be the representation for deaf people," because it's like, well, you're not. 100% showing what it means. Like, if there was a guy in there that was truly deaf, like, from birth, couldn't hear a fucking word, doesn't know what words sound like, and communicates pretty much 100% through sign language, that would be... That guy would be fucked. There's 456 people. I guarantee you zero of them spoke sign language. It's a, it's a very unknown, you know, not a lot of people know sign language. And also it's an international group and sign language varies across countries and even regions and even races. Um, so like if you were truly deaf in that situation, I don't think they'd let you on the show. Like I think the show would just be like, honestly, dude, it's not going to like it's so much work to have just you on the show. But they let her on the show because she's like technically deaf, but she can fucking have a face to face conversation with only words, verbal words, and she's fine. So fuck her. Honestly, she sucks and she wins the game, which stinks because it's that kind of thing where you're like. You know, I don't know how set up it is, but if it is, maybe the producers were like, well, this guy's pretty hateable, uh, and she's supposed to be likable, so I guess she would win this game. But honestly, I feel like even the most Gen Z, whatever you want to, woke, whatever kind of person you want to call it, watching the show, if that guy won, they'd still be like, (laughs) nice, that guy's a dick. You know, because there's so many people left, you kind of know these two people, they're not going to win the game. They don't have it in them. But she gets to fucking, you know, keep doing her thing and keep talking about herself a bunch. Uh, she also, like, promises to form an alliance with women and, like, pretty soon backstabs that, which is, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, so there's, like, moments like that, and there's just, you know, there's every kind of person you want on the show, and they know who to show you. There's, like, a pretty immediate villain who who actually doesn't last very long into the show, which is kind of the reason I feel like it's not all that rigged, you know? Because, like, it comes down to, like, two gay guys and an older Vietnamese woman, and they're two white gay guys, and I feel like as producers, if they had any say over that, they'd be like, well, we can't have two white gay guys win. But they did. They did win. There's one guy, he has... uh, He's a dumbass. He's very memorable from the show. They gave this guy a lot of airtime. He's pretty like standard douchebag reality show guy, but uh, he is a uh, a senior at Clemson, uh, and he's a football player. Which, if you don't know, Clemson is it's a D one football team. I don't think they're very good, but they're not. I don't know. They're not terrible. They're they're a team, you know. Um, and he was in his fourth year, which means he's not the greatest football. He probably wasn't going to go to the NFL. They probably would have drafted him earlier. Um, but he was in his last semester of his senior year, and he dropped out to join the show, which is like, dude, they pro- you probably got a scholarship. Like, you probably got free college. Don't leave. Also, they'll do the show again. At the, after you finish the show, they're like, do you want to sign up for the show? They ask the, like, you, at the very last thing, it's like, here's a website you can go to if you want to sign up for the show. Like, this kid could have just waited for the second season. But uh, he is, he's funny because, you know, I'm 24. He's probably a similar age. And, you know, a lot of my confidence in my beliefs are pretty tapered down by the fact that I do stand up with 30-year-olds and older. And they have lived the same life that I'm going to live. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean? You're, you're around older people. So if you act very young, you get called on being very young and dumb pretty quickly. So I keep a lot of my, uh, young, uh, my young confident beliefs kind of close to my chest because I know I'll be embarrassed if I express them. And then usually when I think about them more, I go, yeah, that's stupid. I don't say those things out loud. This guy doesn't have that. He's just on a football team. So he's on like, he's like with the tough guys and he's with other tough guys his age. So nobody's telling this guy like, hey, you sound like a dumb idiot douchebag that doesn't know anything. You should shut up. Nobody's telling this guy that. 
so he's come he's coming on the show hot um and in his interview he has my favorite one of my favorite just things I've ever heard said is he said you know I'm a competitor uh I've always competed you know you got to learn how to compete and then he says even Jesus had to compete which you know I I like I notice guys that are really secure in their belief of God, like Christians, uh, have their own kind of nonsensical belief that just sort of fits whatever narrative they already wanted to make up. Like, they they believe what they want to believe. You know, they're, like, really competitive. They're really selfish. They lack emotion or empathy. Uh, but they sort of find a way to say that Jesus also says that. I just like reading the Bible and and seeing everything Jesus is doing and the conflict that he's facing and being like, so this is competition. And it's like, no, it's not competition. He walked around saying he was the son of God and it pissed people off, so they killed him. That's not a competition. That was Jesus being kind of a dickhead and a lot of guys being like, should we fucking kill this guy? Because he's so annoying. There wasn't really a competition. There, he only had 12 friends. He was going up against the Roman army. You know, like, it wasn't a competition. But I like that that's what he got from that, you know. But he was also, like, he's a bad Christian because, uh, you know, I think he was, he talked about being raised with a single mom. So he has sort of, like, a I got to make my own way mentality. Um but all of that sort of gets transferred into excuses of selfishness and also kind of being a bad Christian because he says one thing where he's like, you know, I just learned that sympathy is a waste of time, which is a very young person thing to say, to look at a sort of inevitable human emotion. Like, even if you're fucked up, you know, like, e like the only people that really truly don't have an ounce of sympathy are, I guess, like, sociopaths and not just sociopaths like sociopaths that uh enable their own behavior you know those are people without sympathy everybody else feels sympathy whether you want to or not like everybody else if you walk by a little baby kitten that's like drowning in a puddle of a gutter uh seeing it struggle you would probably pick the kitten up and technically that would be a waste of your time you would be later to wherever you're going and it wouldn't actually benefit you directly career-wise. But it would benefit you because you did a nice thing to make you feel better. But I'm just saying it's just a very young thing to be like, you know that emotion that's kind of built into everybody, whether you want to feel it or not? That's a waste of time. Because it's also like sympathy for, for anybody and for good people is a burden. And it's a good burden. I think... You know, I'm upset sometimes that it seems like other people don't feel the same burden of consideration and sympathy and empathy. And I'm not saying that I'm a good person. I, I do a lot of things that are selfish and, and unsympathetic sometimes. And I'm, I really hate myself for that. I, I really hate that I don't feel like I'm a giving enough person. I feel like I take a lot from the people around me in terms of emotional labor and I need to do that less. And, you know, when anybody comes to me and they say, I've had a bad day, can I talk to you? My answer is always yes, because I just want to be an open space for people that they can feel safe around me and, and hopefully safer within themselves and, and they can build themselves up. And maybe my being a part of that would help build myself up too. I think it's a completely non-selfish yet mutual exchange uh, that is being considerate to other people. But this guy... Uh, this guy just, I think he feels that burden and then he says, oh, that's a waste of time, you know? But like a good person walks around the world, sees the kitten drowning and goes, oh, fuck, God damn it, this stupid kitten, okay. And then he picks it up and then you see him two days later, you're like, what's up? He's like, well, I don't know, I was going to work and I found this fucking kitten that's drowning and I couldn't find its mom and it was like dying. So I took it to the vet and I got it, you know, I got it all this shit. And so now I got to feed it out of a fucking baby bottle. And like, you can be annoyed by that, but also what you're engaging in is like a completely beautiful human moment and like helping that little cat. Eventually you'll love that cat and all the struggle of it will, will be part of that love. But this kid is just like, fuck that. I got to go to practice. 
And it's not, he doesn't know that that's not what he actually believes. He doesn't know that. He is just a 24-year-old rude dickhead. And this belief that sympathy is a waste of time is not an actual belief of his. It's like a reaction to the way he acts. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a reaction of justification of his own behavior where he walks around and for whatever reason, he is selfish and he doesn't like helping out other people with their emotions. Um, and instead of trying to change that, what he has done is say, well, actually, it's not that I'm selfish or that it's a flaw in me. It's actually just a belief system. And the belief system relates to sort of this A-type personality that I have as a D1 football player. And that's why I'm successful. Everybody else is wasting their time with sympathy. and that's. But the reason I'm successful is because of this. And he's not successful. He's just a kid, you know? He's... He's just a fucking kid, and he's in college, and, you know, everything's fine, but he kind of believes that he's, like, already really successful, which is, you know, a lot of, like, uh, buff young guys do that a lot. If you're, like, 24 and you're buff, in your head, you look at, like, a 50-year-old broke guy, and you're like, well, that'll never be me, because I'm buff, you know? Um, and it's good to have confidence in yourself, but that's not confidence. That's, like, just sort of... It's not really looking at the big picture. That's not looking at the fact that, like, well, I have a scholarship to go to this college. I couldn't pay for it myself. My parents couldn't pay for it. Uh, I am getting a degree in something I don't really care about because I thought I was going to go to the NFL, and now I'm in my fourth year. I'm probably not going to go to the NFL, so I have this communication screen. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but it might be my lifeline to make any amount of fucking money. Um, maybe I'll get into coaching. He doesn't look at all that. He just goes, I'm on the football team right now, and I'm cool, so I'm a winner. And, you know, the funny part is that, so this guy's like, sympathy is a waste of time. And the way he enacts that belief, the fact that he does it all is crazy. But there's a lot of people that cry in this show. Way more than in the show where people are actually going to die, which is scripted. But still, people don't cry as much in that show as the real reality show where nobody's dying. They're just trying to get money. People are crying all the time. Like, sometimes, like, one time they had to make a line they had to make four separate lines, and they always get nervous about who's in their line. So it becomes very cagey and tense. And just in the midst of everybody fighting over lines, like a woman just started crying, um, which was a little much. But also, anytime anybody cries in the show, it's a little much. So she's crying. And then the D1 football player who believes that sympathy is a waste of time, he's like, he's like 15 feet away from her. He's like two lines over. He sees that. And then out loud to her, but to everybody, he goes, would you stop with the emotions? It's such a waste of time. You look weak. Can we stop? And it's like, he doesn't realize that what he's seeing is a person crying. What he then most likely feels, if he's not a sociopath, is a person's crying Somebody needs to stop them from crying and make them feel better because it's not good when people cry. And it makes us all a little sad when anyone cries for any reason, even if they're kind of a dickhead. He feels that. He feels that burden of sympathy. But all he feels is the burden and then just goes, stop, you're doing this to me. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're just a completely selfish dickhead who's just making up all these like Andrew Tate beliefs to justify being a dickhead. Like, this guy doesn't have any beliefs that he, like, you know, he he never, like, like reads some, like, book about a way of life and then is like, oh, that's good, and then formulates his own ideas and then changes his life after that. No, he just lives the way he lives. He creates his own belief to justify that way of living, and then he probably finds different books or YouTube videos to uh, confirm his bias, you know, and that's just in his own personality. That's not, like, a politic thing, but... So that guy's the best. And it's just, it's funny because it's like there's people his age in like college or younger. I, I think they have to be at least 18. But whew, there's people his age. And then there's like 80-year-old people. So he's like presenting this whole air 
and everybody around him, like he thinks he's like, yeah, everybody can see that I'm fucking strong and I'm awesome. I'm a real competitor. You know, everybody knows that everybody respects football players because that's what the whole world is like. He hasn't he really hasn't left college like he really thinks that anybody who hears that a guy plays for a college football team, they'll be like, well, he's the man, obviously. So, you know, mark that down. But that's not the reaction he gets. Everybody in the entire warehouse on the first day is like, okay, so fuck that guy. Uh, If we have a chance to vote him out or whatever, we will definitely do that. And, you know, I mean, he just acts like a dickhead immediately, which is like if he just smiled more and was nice, it wouldn't be a problem. But he's like, he immediately gets a group of other guys and then is like, all right, let's do push-ups. You think you can do more push-ups than me? And then, you know, it's bad because this is a game of not, you know, it's not really a lot of physicality involved in the game. It's more strategy and, and kind of alliance building and things like that. And he's just starting off immediately by being like, well, I'm a dickhead. And if you're against me in a physical challenge, you'll lose. So he's like fucking himself over for the entire show, but he doesn't know that. And it's kind of a small microcosm for what his entire life is going to be of like, well, you know, I'm just presenting that I'm fucking awesome and it'll work out for me. And then the rest of the world is like, no, actually, we don't fuck with you. And we all know that you're pretty stupid. So nobody likes you. You're not going to be able to build a real alliance and and you'll probably get voted out easily. He he gets out in a challenge, but, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like reality shows are like really like stupid But it's interesting because they are, I think, the saddest kind of entertainment that exists. Because, like, they do this thing, and this is a spoiler. (sighs) There's been other spoilers. This is another. They do this thing where they get a treat, and they're like, you guys get to have a picnic. Uh, So pick whoever you want. You can only pick one person, and you two will have a picnic together. We'll give all of you a blanket, and you'll sit down and have a picnic. So what they every every group of two gets their own blanket. They get a basket, and they've been eating shitty food, so they give them nice food, and they're all excited, and they're eating. And then if you look at the bottom of the picnic basket, there's a bag of marbles, which since they've watched the show, they all know means, oh, I have to play marbles against this person I'm having the picnic with, and only one of us is going to win. So what the show did was they said, hey, pick your best friend in here. And then they fucked him over by saying, okay, now you guys have to go head to head in a game and one of you is going to be eliminated from the game. Um, And this is a really interesting part in the show because they're in like a large, like there's still like close to a hundred of them in the game. So they're in this like large warehouse room where they all sleep and they're all sitting on the floor. And then they break this news that they're going to have to play this game against each other. And, like, pretty much every single group, like, all hundred people begin to weep at the same moment. And, you know, a lot of reality shows are, like, trying to find a moment of weakness in somebody and then exploit it with a camera in their face. And this is, like the most depraved example of that because they got all these people into one room. They all made them feel the same feeling at the same time. And then the shots they get after are like a Viet, like, you know, those Vietnam war movies where the camera just pans over like a million dead bodies. It just becomes like the dying and dead bodies. It just becomes like that where there's just like shot, shot, shot. It's like quick cuts of different people all just hugging and crying and being like, this is a fucking game. And then like, you're watching it just being like, wow, this is like a, this is like a social experiment kind of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like a large psychological test that's all happening at once. And it's not to get any result or to really analyze what's happening. It's to just tape it and show it to people and be like, isn't this fucked up and sad? And you're like, yes, it's very fucked up and sad. What the fuck is this show? You know? Because, I don't know, I feel like the last time I watched reality TV, it was, like, I watched Survivor with my family, which is still on, but I don't, I don't know how it's changed. I only watched the old one. And in 2005, you know, I think there was less inflation, there was a little more hope with the college degree. The point is, everybody on the show was like, oh, I'd love to win a million dollars, but nobody's like... 
if I win this million dollars, I won't have to lie to my kids about our money anymore. And the world's just gotten so much sadder in the last 20 years. And so reality shows now, especially when you can win $4.56 million, which, you know, if you win that, and come out to like, you know, maybe two or so. <coughs> which even with how expensive the world is now, $2 million can really change your life, especially if you invest it well, you know. You can turn that into tan. Um, so these people like really need this to an extent that's like n fucked up. You know what I mean? It's like, like, like I was talking about how everybody's crying in the show and how it's kind of funny, but it's also like, oh yeah, they're crying because this is their one shot to get out of poverty. Like a lot of people in the show are in very low class or maybe even you know, kind of a poverty kind of like situation. Um, and so this is their one shot. It's either win this game or the rest of their life is going to be what it's been unless they figure something else out, you know? And it's crazy. I mean, that has to be the worst feeling in the world, especially for like the guy, you know, like the person that was like the runner up in the show, because it's like for that long, they'd been like, okay, if I win this, I'll have a different life, you know? And then you lose, and then you leave the show, and you go, oh, so everything's the same. And all the dreams I've been having of the last few weeks of what I would do with the money don't matter anymore because I'm not going to win the money. And whatever my life is now is just what my life is going to be, and I just have to look down the barrel of that. And, you know, it's like I wake up every day and look down the barrel of my life and it scares the fuck out of me and it's got to be even worse when you had a chance to change everything and by whatever twisted fate it didn't and then you just have to go back and go oh yeah so so this is it you know this is this is all it's gonna be i guess you know like that's and it's not necessarily true that uh, maybe a lot of those people go on from that show and make a million dollars and and get to be a little comfortable in their lives. I don't know. But a lot of them won't. Most of them won't, you know. And it's, it's a dirty game. But yeah, I mean, yeah, my favorite part is just that you you don't see a lot of people. Like, everybody gets pretty quick screen time. You know, it's... It's not really like, this has been your favorite person for the last few weeks watching them. And it's like, you, like even like the person who wins, like they only come in to play like the last three episodes. Before that, you don't really hear from them, you know. Um, there was one funny part. There was a young girl and a young guy. They're both probably around my age, like 24. And they're sitting uh, on a bed together. And it goes to their conversation and she's like, so what are your like, what's like your smoothest pickup line if you see a cute girl in a bar? And then he answers and they laugh and it's very flirty. You know, they're asking safe but flirty questions. It's the first romance I've seen in the whole show. And I'm like, huh. And then it, and we haven't heard from this girl. She hasn't really been interviewed yet. So then it goes to her interview and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm really just trying to connect with people and find out good things about other people, and I just want to see if they can see the same in me. And I, I took that interview, and I took at what I just saw, and I was like, is this girl here to, like, fuck people? Does she think it's like a reality show, like Big Brother, where everybody's, like, fucking? Like, doing, like, on-camera fucking? Which is hilarious, because remember, the show starts off with 456 people, so she showed up on the first day and was probably like, this is gonna be crazy. You know what I mean? Just looking around, there's like old men there. She's like, fuck, this is freaky shit, okay. Just imagining the first night, 456 people sleep. Well, half of them, like a huge amount of them get eliminated in the first game. Uh, so I'd say it probably goes down to like 300, but... It's like 300 people sleeping in a communal room. And I was just matching when the lights go out. She assumes they got night vision cameras to watch people fucking. So she's like, okay, here's here's where the real show starts. And she just goes to a guy's bunk bed. And there's like 300 people in there. So he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And he's like, ah, what the fuck? And she's like, I'm cold. And he's like, what? And she like puts her ass on his dick. And he's like, are you trying to get me hard right now? And there's like... 
you know, the bunk beds are so close, so there's like literally 15 people around, and they're all just like, what the fuck? And that didn't happen, but that would that should have happened. I would have liked a little more of that in the show. Because the show is based off the scripted show, and the scripted show is very serious, you know what I mean? It's like guards with no faces, and it's kind of like you, you're almost like in prison, and the way to get out is to win these games. So everybody in the show is like pretty respectful of the whole situation. But I would have liked somebody to get kicked off, not by losing, but just by like trying to fuck somebody or like smoking a cigarette or something, you know? But I don't know. It's uh, it's a good show. And I am realizing now that as the world gets more expensive and our leaders continue to dupe us and just use us, and as all of our personal information is mined away for somebody else to make more money and the chances of anybody really excelling themselves out of a bad situation become less and less every day in this country, that reality TV is probably the best it's ever going to get. You know, there's considered like a golden age of reality TV. I don't think that's really happened yet. I think the worse the world gets, the closer we get to the real squid games. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people's reasons for going on a reality show in like the 90s, or early 2000s are just like, because I don't give a fuck. Like, they're just very vague and they're personality based. You know what I mean? They're just like, you know, I just hawk guy like me usually wins everything. So when I got this chance and they said I could win it, I was like, probably will. So fuck it. I'll join, you know, and you still get a little bit of that nowadays. But now it's mixed in with the current culture. So the whole show is just people just being like. My brother's retarded. So many people, like every person they interview is just like, my brother's retarded. I need money for that. Uh, also, my job sucks. And then, you know, then there's like two, there's like a guy that brings his fucking mom, which is gay. Uh, and she's there and she's like, I'm just trying to, you know, find the feeling that I felt like I haven't felt in a while of really trying something new. And it's like, fuck you. There are people here that are like trying to pay for their sister who's never taken a step in her life and you want to feel go for a fucking hike literally take a hike not even in the sense of the word take a hike go out and hike because what the fuck is this why would you what so you can feel something it's you win 4.56 million dollars if you win this you're taking that money away from somebody who needs that money you know um so it's kind of easy to hate people, you know what I mean? But I don't know. I think the next reality TV show should be called Crabs in a Bucket, where they get a bunch of people and they screen them really hard. Uh, and they find, you know, a group of people who have never made more than like $20,000 in a year. So they got to go, you know, they go across the world. And it's similar to Squid Games. It is in a big warehouse and they can't leave. But inside the big warehouse, instead of a bunch of bunk beds, is a large bucket, a very large bucket, like as big as a small theater, you know? It's like huge. So they put all of these, and I'm talking hundreds, they put hundreds of these people who are, you know, deep below the poverty line, and they put them in the bucket. And if they get out of the bucket, they win $10 million. And it's like a 30-day show, and there's no ropes, and there's no nothing, and you can't climb it yourself. So there's like a thing where it's like, you know, they realize, well, we got to make a ladder. And then, but then it's like, well, whoever gets up that ladder first wins. So a bunch of us would just be helping whoever gets up the ladder. So whoever gets up the ladder is going to have to get that money and split it with everybody else in the bucket, you know? Um, and if you want to get out of the bucket without climbing out of it, you have to shoot yourself. And people do that. You'll be surprised when you watch my new reality show, Crabs in a Bucket. A lot of people, for some reason, just opt to just kill themselves. So within 10 days, half the, half the contestants are splayed out over the floor. There's a lot of blood. There's like an inch of blood in the bottom of the, but you can't step without getting your shoes soaked in blood. And it just comes down to these people. And that's when they really start to actually work together and make decisions. Cause they go, okay, so a lot of us are dead now. 
which means that if we split this money, we'll we'll make about double what we would have if we did it all together, and we still have enough people to make a chain. So then it so then they go, well, how many people do we need to make the chain? And they realize it's like fifteen, and they go, okay, well, there's like fifty people here, and then it just becomes a fight to the death with about enough people to make the ladder left standing. And those people go up and they let one guy go up because they trust that he'll split the money and he wins and he doesn't split the money. And that's crabs in a bucket. And you know what's fun? Is that the second season, same bucket, no cleanup. So it starts off and the bodies are still there. And it's, you know, it's like it's infectious and it's dangerous and it's it's like walking down a street in England in, in the 1500s, you know? It's really fucked up and gross. But I think, you know, within a matter of, I mean, we'll see how the next election goes, you know. I think just, you know, not not very long from now, that could be the hottest show. But, you know, I mean, that's, we'll see. So... I don't know. I also could see like uh, addiction getting involved. Like they honestly should do a reality show that's like a hundred like alcoholics and drug addicts. I guess they should all be on the same. They should all have the same addiction. That's kind of only fair. Okay, so you get like you get 45 heroin addicts and they're all like the same level of heroin addict. They're like deeply addicted to heroin and what it is is they stay in the, the same set of squid games um and they do play the same games but it doesn't matter if you win the games it has nothing to do with the outcome of this particular competition so you still have to do like red light green light and stuff but you're just withdrawing from fentanyl and heroin so there's 45 people doing that and the games don't matter once again it's just to get them moving the way you win the game is by staying sober. And there is no medical treatment for the withdrawals. So the first 10 days of the competition are crazy. Like some people's livers are shutting down. They got to quit the show. You know, people are fighting with each other. They're all being like, somebody has heroin here. Who has heroin? You know what I mean? Like, they're all, it's a mess. People are, some people are just getting stabbed to death just because of the frustration and anger in the room. It's a fucked up show. But then at the end, one guy goes 45 days and then he gets $100 million. And then the real show starts because it turns from a reality competition show to then kind of a docu-series about the winner and he dies within a he dies within a year pretty pretty easily he dies he doesn't take it as like i'm sober now and i have money i can change my whole life he takes it as i have so much money for heroin and he goes right back to it and i think i might also call that one crabs in a bucket uh it might just be the same name as the other show so you know i'm uh i'm talking to you know multiple uh, I'm talking to multiple production companies and rehab facilities and trying to get people on board. Everybody I've talked to says that it is morally repugnant. Uh, that's a word they're throwing around a lot about the idea for the show. But, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to let the haters win. I think the show needs to get made. I think it's what people need to see. And I think it's what people want. Um, so, I mean, watch out for that. Watch out for the new crabs in a bucket. Uh, that's going to be a really exciting show. Um, yeah, I don't know. The sadder the world gets, the better that fucking reality TV is going to get. And yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. I don't know. Is it, you know, it was really tough because there was a girl on the show. She was 23 and she was fine. She's fine. You know, she's 23. She's fine. And she's on the show, and they're very open in their interviews, more than I've seen anybody else in a reality TV show ever. Uh, and she goes on, and she's like, you know, of course I could use the money. I'm young. I don't have any money. But also, I feel like I haven't done anything in my entire life. I just work at a hotel, and I, I don't like it, and I don't like myself. Uh, I have a really hard time liking myself. I don't like anything about myself. And she's telling all of this to the world. 
And I'm watching it as a 24 year old who doesn't like himself. And I'm just like, oh, girl, like, of course you feel that way. You're 23. That's okay. Don't tell everybody that. Because in seven years, you're going to be 30 and you're still not going to like yourself, but you're not really going to think that matters anymore. Eventually, you'll reach an age where even if you don't fix your problems, you'll look at them and just go, I have to go to work and I don't care that I don't like myself because even if I liked myself, my life still sucks a lot. So fuck it, you know, and she's just telling this to the world and you know, I come here on my podcast and talk about how I don't like myself, but also nobody listens, so that's different, you know. But it's tough. It is it is tough to like yourself. I, you know, I don't. I uh I I couldn't sleep last night cuz I haven't drank for 3 days, and I've noticed this really cool thing happens when I don't drink, which is where I can't sleep until about 5 a.m. I literally I got into bed at 12:30, you know midnight and a half, which is very early for me and my job. And I was like, maybe I can just go to sleep and I could wake up at 10 and I'll have gotten fucking like nine hours of sleep. You know, like how awesome would that be? And I just couldn't do it. I eventually had to get up. I fucking made dinner at like 2 a.m. and ate two bites of it and then watched a show and got high and then laid in bed for another two hours until I could go to sleep. And it's just, you know, I think that's the one thing that stops a lot of people. I mean, definitely me from uh, actually staying sober is that, and not that I'm so, I'm not sober. I smoke weed and I, I use a lot of escapes, uh, but just alcohol is one that's pretty dominant in the escapism factor. And so if I take that out, I feel the difference. I'll say that. I'm not trying to steal valor from real sober people. But yeah, when I take away that that weighted blanket of, of drunk sleep, uh, you just have to feel all of your feelings. And then you get high and you still feel those feelings. You're just fucking high and everything's worse. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's fucking tough. You know, I just, I can't sleep. And it's like, I don't know how to walk around without fucking hating myself, you know? Because, you know, I'm sure if I got more time, you know, if I like got a year in no drinking, I'd be able to have a little confidence in myself and say, hey, you know, that was tough, but I did it, and I, I proved that to myself, and even if I don't like myself, you know, I can, that's a good thing. And I don't think that's going to happen for me, and I think that's fine. I don't think it's the point of getting sober. But it is tough, you know, because it's like, you want to believe that if you stop doing something that's bad for you, you'll feel better about yourself, because you'll be like, well, I'm not doing that thing that's bad for me anymore so I should feel good and I should feel like I have power over myself but you don't feel that way at all it's just you just have all these feelings of self-hate and self-loathing that you've been covering with the alcohol that now rear their ugly heads nightly upon you and the you can't you can't feel all those feelings and go well I'm not drinking so that's good that doesn't fix that it doesn't fix it and you know it's just been a lot of uh, of realizing that I'm not going to be happy or comfortable ever in my life. But what I can do is hopefully build up a stand-up career and have a life that has more enjoyable moments than a life of working a shitty job and still wasting my life away at open mics, you know? But even if the success comes, I'm not going to be happy. And, you know, I mean, adults are listening to this being like, yeah, that's life. You know, nobody's happy. And also a lot of people, I'm sure, are thinking the same thought I'm having, which is, well, of course, happiness is not a constant state. It's something you feel sometimes. And if you live a good life, that feeling is probably a little more accessible to you. And really more than that, it's not the feeling of happiness. It's that if you live a good life, you'll have less despair and depression thoughts of like, well, everything's just fucking terrible, you know, like that will lessen a little bit. But I don't know. I also don't think it will. I'm kind of just just looking at my life and and realizing like, no, I'm just going to I think I'm just going to feel awful about myself and this world until the day I die. But if I build up a stand up career and I'm able to do stand up to like an audience that likes me, then those will be nice moments. And that's kind of all I can hope for. 
And that just sucks and is such a good reason to drink because it's like, well, you know, there's the cheat code for happiness if you want it, you know, but you just have to, I don't yeah, just be some kind of adult and just be like, no, this is just what it is. And, you know, I saw a good tweet from a friend of mine, Ben Avery. Uh, some of you might know him. He he, he tweeted that because he's uh, sober and he's, he's open about it online. He tweeted that... Uh, a lot of people message him and they say, oh, I've been not drinking or not smoking or I've been quitting this addiction and it still sucks. What am I doing wrong? And he was like, you're not doing anything wrong. That's what it is. And I like that. I like that because that's kind of what a lot of, you know, sober people and sober organizations will say, but they don't really say it. What they say is like the feeling of sobriety is a feeling of satisfaction and self-confidence that will be good for you in your life. But they're not honest about the fact that it's not enjoyable. It's not fun. And, you know, it is when you really think about it, it is stupid to think that like, well, if I'm sober, I'll have fun. And it's like, no, you won't, dude. You're having fun right now, and that's the problem. Fun is your problem. Once you get the fun out, then you'll get stuff done, and then when you do have fun, it'll mean more, you know, because you've gotten some stuff done, and you kind of maybe in whatever justification, you know, you, you can say you kind of deserve to have that kind of fun, you know? But, but yeah, that's it. This is it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, my life will only be successful if I can finally get to a point where I just accept that, un, you know, that that suffering is is the mode of being that that's how it is that, you know, the Buddhist, you guys are right, you know, because even those guys, everybody's like they're enlightened and they're content. And it's like, no, those are guys that are the best at being like, no, dude, shit sucks all the time. The only reason people think we're super happy and enlightened is because we accept that shit sucks all the time forever until the end. So if we seem unbothered, what it is is like you know, you can't drown when your water's or when your lungs are already full of water, you know what I mean? You're like it just sucks already, dude. Like I don't care. Like some bad shit comes up for like a devout Buddhist and he's like, "Yeah, I'm cool." And everybody's like, "How are you so chill?" And he's like, "I'm not chill. This shit just sucks already, and I knew it would suck, so I'm not surprised." Like you're not upset, you're surprised by the suffer. If you weren't surprised by it, then you just go, "Yeah, that's what the fuck this life is." And then, you know, whatever. I don't know. But, you know, it's also just realizing it's like you don't always deserve to be as happy as you think you do. Like, I woke up today. I haven't gone outside. It's dark now. I didn't see the sun, you know. Sunlight came into my room. You know, I took a shower. I washed the dishes. I set up the podcast. But I didn't see the sun. Uh, and so I can't expect to be chipper today. You know what I mean? I can't be like, why am I not feeling good? It's like, well, because you lived a bad life and that's, that's, you know, this is what it is. You know, you get what you get. There's a joke I have now about how I can't go to the doctor because I don't eat or sleep or exercise well in any of those forums. And so I don't feel good at all ever. So like sometimes I'll get worried and be like, oh, what do I have AIDS? And then I get an AIDS test and then I don't have AIDS. And I'm like, well, why the fuck do I feel like I have AIDS then? And it's like, because that's how you live your life because you get what you get because you are living the life you deserve to live, because it is the life you've lived. The life you live is the sum of all the actions that you've taken part in, and the actions you take part in are uh, drinking and eating shitty foods and not sleeping well. So yeah, you wake up every day and you feel bad physically, and that makes you feel bad mentally, and now you think you suck, and then you call that depression, and for some reason you go on pills to stop it, when it's like, no, you have created this mess. And I probably have some sort of innate chemical imbalance or something. I don't know. But I can tell you that the way I live my life, if I lived it better, would I could finally figure out if I am kind of naturally depressed. I don't know, you know. But yeah, I mean, shit just sucks all the time until you die. And that's, you know, fine. Because shit not being great isn't that bad either. You know, it's not Disneyland. And now I sound like a 24-year-old who is giving very absolute opinions on life, and people are probably telling me to shut up, and I'm being a little much. But 
I also think that a lot of people listening to this, it's like, well, you know, maybe he's a little much with saying shit sucks all the time, but he's not like wrong. You know, he's not like completely off the ball. Um, but anyway, uh, sorry, I yawned. I'm not editing it out. Uh, shit sucks all the time. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.